My name is Bozi Tatarovic, and this is my top five. What's up, y'all? It's me, Aaron Beard 93. I'd like to welcome you back to the Motorsports Beat. Today's topic is yours, another episode of the Top 5, where we take the stars behind the cars and spotlight the five races that have been most important to their lives. Now, today's guest is a fine human, or robot, maybe? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just playing. Uh, he's a, he's a biscuit-loving, honey-stand-watching, tracksuit-wearing member of the racing scene, where you can find him working with a sports car team or sharing news and thoughts about all manner of cars. You can find him on social media at his name, and I'm probably about to butcher said name, but I will introduce him to you now. I'm talking, of course, about Bozy Tatarovich. How are you doing today, Bozy? Pretty good. That's a really good pronunciation. That's uh, it's pretty solid. It's one of the best ones I've heard yet. So I appreciate that. <laughs> and I'm doing, you have to go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. So I'm 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 glad glad to hear that smooth uh, itch at the end. Yeah, well, you got to give me like a grade on a curve because I come from a Midwestern mother and a Southern father. So I have like the worst mud mouth accent ever anyways. So getting any name rights hard. No, that's really good. That's uh, that's definitely definitely on the top end of the scores there. Uh, <laughs> I'll take it. Well, if we're talking about your top five. But before we started, I wanted to touch on you, your year and everything a little bit. So, so first of all, I think we met for the first time a little under a year ago at Daytona. And you were like kind of growing into the scene at the time. I know you'd, you'd made a name for yourself a little bit at the Rolex 24, sharing updates from teams and stuff. But man, you have like blown past me and become almost like a little bit of a social media celebrity of sorts in the last year, dude. How is that? Uh, has that been for you? I mean, it's fun. I just, I just really kind of like to share things that I find fun with other people. And then, you know, like things that I find fun or I find interesting about race cars or cars in general, I just like to share. And then, you know, I'll share that on social media or I'll write stories about it with some of the places I work with. And now uh, on the other side of it, working in sports cars, I've been fortunate enough to work with teams that are kind of see see that sharing information from inside the garage, inside the team, of course, not competitive information, but just information the fans might like as a benefit. So I've, I've gotten to share a bunch of that too. And I mean, right now I've been home for about a week. I just got back from the Rolex 24 um, where I was uh, working on the number 14 Lexus RCF GT3 for Vassar Sullivan. I, uh, I, I'm a mechanic on that car in, in IMSA, and uh, I also carry tires around the pit stop. So that was uh, it was definitely a, a big ordeal this year because of the way they did the schedule, where they combined the roar, which was traditionally before a few weeks before the Rolex, and then added a race inside the roar, and then we had a bunch of prep. So we ended up basically spending half the month in Florida, where we had some prep, some practices, then that qualifying race, then some more prep, some more practices, and then the 24 hour race. So it's taken a few days to kind of start to recover. <laughs> well, here up in Indiana, we've had uh, some snow, some rain, some wind, some more snow, <laughs> some ice. So 
I, I don't feel too bad for you, but it does sound like a busy schedule. <laughs> it was very busy. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of the cold. So it was nice to be in Florida, and especially the days where we could get done by like four or five to just go out and just to go for a walk where it's like 70 degrees. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a different experience, but yeah, that's kind of, you know, uh, I've been, uh, I've been lucky uh, to, be able to get this gig with Vassar Sullivan working on that Lexus RCF GT3 just because it's been so much fun. And that has allowed me some opportunities because, you know, Jimmy and Sully, you know, just understand racing and understand how, you know, things work. So it's cool to be able to share my experience with, you know, people on Twitter or Instagram or wherever I am on social and the, uh, the content social guy hunter for the teams kind of all into it too he's very uh he's very aware of what goes on so we were able to do like videos from pit stops like in the race where hunter would you know set up so he could get video from me i we do a pit stop and he get the video and put it on social right away so people got like a really you know good view of what was going on so and then i basically just started a thread during the race where i had my thoughts because i was awake for 40 hours so all the times between working on the car pitting the car i was like well I can share what I'm thinking about or what I'm doing or what I'm eating. And, you know, people are into that. So it works out. Oh man. See, I used to stay up for 34 hours in high school because I had insomnia, but I was mostly just thinking of like my chemical romance lyrics. So I don't know if sharing would have done as much good for me. I never know. There's probably a whole group of fans of that just like my chemical romance lyrics at a very specific moment in time. What I found out about the internet is there's, always at least like one or two people that are interested in something that you might be interested in and also think it's cool. And then sometimes you find more than one or two people and you can share information back and forth. So it's, you never know, if you put stuff out there, somebody might like it and you can, you know, make a new friend online. So it works out. <laughs> well, you heard it here, folks, when I start tweeting lyrics to welcome to the black parade at 3 a.m. in a week, know where I got it from. This was my inspiration. Yes. Right here. I, I highly recommend sharing whatever, whatever's on your mind online and uh, trying to find other people that, that you can share it with. <laughs> Sounds good. Now, I'm curious before, this will be my last thing before we get started. I first knew you, I guess, as a writer, as a reporter almost. Obviously, you kind of do the balancing act of reporting, writing about cars and motorsports, and then also working with teams like Vassar Sullivan. What is that balancing act like for you on any given day, week, or month? So it's, I'm, I'm, I started writing before I started working on race cars. And so that's still something that I'm very focused on, but I find that I get the biggest rush from working on race cars. So anytime I have an opportunity uh, to be able to work on something cool, I'm going to take it. And basically the, the way it boils down to it is I, I work in IMSA and I, I will cover and write about IMSA a bit, basically kind of from a general technical perspective. So uh, at the beginning of the season, I just, I wrote a story for Haggerty where I said, this is what the WeatherTech series is going to look like this year. These are the cars they're going to compete. This is approximately how much power they make and just kind of give people a description so then they understand what's going on. And anything or anybody that I'm working specifically for, I won't cover 
in any kind of written work just to prevent a conflict of interest. So that I kind of separate out and anything that, you know, might be confidential from a competitive perspective that also gets saved off to the side. And so it's, it's, I try to stay away from, if I'm competing somewhere, I try to stay away from that in my coverage. And I'll just share that from kind of my personal perspective on my Twitter or Instagram, but it's not something I'll write about. As far as my writing is concerned, I'll mostly write about other series using my experience working in sports cars to help me understand what goes on in other series. So I'll write about NASCAR or, uh, you know, I'll write about road cars in general or rally cars or whatever, just using that experience. So there's, there's, you know, a fine line I try to keep to make sure that there are no conflicts and to make sure that things kind of, you know, stay clear of each other. Uh, but I, I like to think of both those sides coinciding and being able to use the experience of working in racing so I can cover racing from a certain perspective and also, you know, being able to share my experiences of working on a race car from that perspective as a media person, knowing what people might like to see, you know, so it kind of works, works with each other. Yeah. Your timing coming into the, I guess, media side and kind of blowing up in the last year has been fortuitous in terms, I think of like NASCAR has got the next gen car coming. And obviously you mentioned you don't cover it as because you're working in it. You don't necessarily go as in depth with it, but obviously IMSA and world endurance both have cars coming like the hypercar and all that. So I feel like you've chosen a a good time to kind of sprout up in this world. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of big changes happening and I've been a fan of motorsports for a while and I've written about street cars basically, you know, for since 2014, 15, somewhere in that range. And I really just kind of followed motorsports and followed motorsports people just because I enjoyed watching it. And then I was like, well, I could write about this, you know, this is interesting. And I write about other cars here. So it really, the motorsport side really started with that next gen car. So at PRI, okay, it's probably PRI 2019, it would be, yeah. PRI 2019, uh, I heard that the transaxle that they're going to use in the next gen was there because it was the same transaxle as the Australian supercars, uh, the, the Australian supercars were using. And that's kind of there. I went, talked to some people, found out some information, and I wrote my first story about the next gen. And that story kind of put me on the map. I was like, maybe this guy knows something. And then from there, other people are like, hey, I saw you write this. You were, you know, you're, you were 80% right. Here's some more about what I know and then it just kind of started growing from there and then I you know I started getting you know more information on the car and then I started looking at more details even of the current car just sharing information that I hadn't maybe noticed for myself or I talked to other people and there were other people that were interested in knowing about that so now I'm trying to combine my experiences and with the next gen car having such a big sports car influence to it my experience working in sports cars, I think is gonna help me to be able to cover the next gen car more closely. And that's kind of what's helped me cover it in the past year. So it all kind of works together, you know, just try to kind of figure out the best way to, you know, share information and figure out the best way for to do things that are fun for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I am a terrible car person, so I'm gonna live vicariously through you. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's the thing is, everybody has a different aspect of the sport that they cover. So like, I'm very much into the technical details, but I also like to read stuff from the competition side and kind of the people side. So like, even though I'm like really, really nerdy and deep into the technical details, 
the people are always what makes racing the most interesting to me. So like, you know, people like you and a lot of other people out there that can kind of cover the people in the sport is what makes me excited, you know, to watch certain type of racing. Well, you know, speaking about covering people in the sport, that is the whole focus of this podcast. And you just happen to be the person we're covering. So if you are ready, I will yield the floor to you and we can talk about your first race. All right. So these aren't in any particular order, but we'll kind of transition since we've been talking about the Rolex, we'll transition into that. So the first one we'll start off is the Rolex 24. So the Rolex 24 has always been kind of special as, you know, biggest endurance race in America. It's, you know, the most well-known American sports car race in the world. And, you know, even, you know, me coming from the Balkans, that's something that people over there know. Like they may not know a specific race or track or something if they're not a huge, you know, sports car racing fan, but everybody knows Daytona and everybody knows, you know, you go race for 24 hours at Daytona. So I've watched that race for a long, long time. And then a few years ago, I got to go and see it in person. And so that was like, even that, at that point I was like, wow, this is cool. Like just being able to see there and see it in person, like everything that's happening, all the cars. And then last year I decided to, I was there with, with a, a couple of teams just kind of watching what they were doing. And I decided I'm going to stay up the whole time. I was covering it last year. So that was the first time I was there on site and be able to stay up the whole time. And that was just an experience in itself. So I, you know, I got up at, you know, basically 8 a.m. and then stayed up throughout the next day and the next evening. So it was like, you know, a 40 hour day, but it was so cool, especially for me being nerdy and being technical, just to see what was going on. So like during the day I was tweeting about it, I was uh, sending some info to my colleagues at road and track and doing some other stuff, uh, did some, you know, different things. And then there was, you know, that big rush of people and media during the day. And then at night, as it started to get later and later, people kind of spread out and there wasn't a whole lot of traffic in the media center or on pit road because everybody wanted to take a nap. But I got to see just kind of basically just take a slow walk through pit lane, see what teams are doing, see, you know, what different situations are and just take it all in and enjoy it without all the like rush and hustle and bustle of, you know, big crowds of fans or, you know, a lot of media in one place. And then also got to see just be able to, you know, share some stuff of teams that had struggles throughout the night. I had to go back to the garage, what they were doing there and teams that got the stuff repaired and then go all the way through the end of the race. And then what was nice is I, I was able to, get my uh, get myself to be able to get up on the roof with the spotters mm. and that was uh yeah maintenance elevator sometimes works and things worked out there so uh, i got up on the roof watched the sunrise and it was just a whole scene of just like everything came together and, like worked so well so like that all of that just that that race and that experience made it special in itself and then last year i got on with vassar sullivan and you know they were i got on with them uh, towards the end of the end of the season but at the end of the season they offered me a full a gig for the full year this year which included the rolex and i was that was basically an immediate yes because that's been like you know one of my bucket list things is to be able to you know work the you know rolex 24. so you know a few weeks ago uh well in December we went and tested and that was already cool because I had never, 
I had been to Daytona as a spectator media person, but I, I had never, you know, worked on a car there. So even testing there a few weeks, you know, December was like, this is cool. Like this is the, I'm at Daytona and, you know, this is like awesome. And then we went and came back for the roar and just all the hustle and bustle, even though this is, you know, a pandemic year. So it's very limited. There were 49 cars there, people from all over the world, drivers, mechanics, crews, you know, so it was just cool to have all that come together, especially after this year. And I do have to give credit to IMSA, you know, they had fans and stuff like that, but they were able to kind of keep things very under control and uh, to allow this event to go off. And for a moment there during, you know, the event, it felt like a race, like, you know, all the stuff outside wasn't happening. We were on pit road and, you know, we were racing in the Rolex 24. So, you know, it's, it was a, a, an exciting experience and we got to do this qualifying race, this new format this year. And there was a lot of, I would say uneasiness maybe just with all the changes and all the schedule being compacted because from the qualifying race to the Rolex, there was only six days in between and there's new classes with LMP3 being added and all this other stuff where, you know, it's potential for all kinds of, you know, chaos to happen, but everything went off actually surprisingly well uh, for in, in that regard. I mean, we, we, uh, we had a fast car with, you know, I was working on the, the Lexus RCF GT3 and we had a fast car and everything was going well. Uh, we got to lead some laps and stuff. Unfortunately, during the night, we had some cooling issues and had to kind of work on the car and went last down. But even so, even though we didn't have the greatest specific experience there, it was pretty great to be able to participate in this this type of event and just be able to experience all of that and experience what it's like to be awake for you know forty some odd hours and do over twenty pit stops <laughs> while being awake. And what made it even cooler is I was able to share all that on Twitter and Instagram, just, you know, share my experience on social. And then so many people are able to kind of follow along and interact. So it was, it was kind of a pretty, pretty big deal for me to be able to do all of that. And I want to do it again. I want to do other 24 hour races. I'd like to go to Le Mans or, you know, a bunch of the other Nürburgring, you know, wherever I can. So like endurance racing has always been like the most fun. So the Rolex definitely gets a spot on the list. So, I'm going to go from context here. I'm an, I'm an Indiana kid. I'm a Hoosier, but I was raised in a NASCAR family. So, uh -huh. like, Indianapolis Motor Speedway is, like, our mecca over here. Everybody, they might as well worship it in this state if you're a race fan. But in the NASCAR world, I think Daytona is held to such prestige, obviously. It is the world center of racing. It's It literally looks like a stadium now, but it's always kind of been NASCAR's coliseum of sorts. I'm going you know, Bristol, too. But from you come from a whole different world, I guess, to an extent, both physically and, I guess, I won't say metaphorically, but like series-wise, <laughs> yeah, like you're talking yeah. about endurance sure. racing. Yeah. So you mentioned knowing about the Rolex, but coming from your context, what did Daytona mean to you, and has that changed now that you've been able to experience it a few different times? So I've I've had uh, kind of an interesting mixed experience, you could say, kind of like you with kind of your Midwest Southern mix. So uh, I was born in Sarajevo. Uh, which is part of Bosnia now, was former Yugoslavia at the time, um, and moved here when I was nine. So as a kid, I really didn't follow that much racing. I just remember seeing stuff here and there and can't really recollect that. But I moved to North Carolina. So uh, as like a teenager, I was into 
I like rally cars and stuff like that. So I had like a Mitsubishi Mirage that I wanted to do, you know, make it look like a Lancer Evolution. And that was like, I was into cars before I was really into racing, but I followed rally cars. I followed a little bit of endurance racing, but I also followed some oval racing because like I grew up 10 minutes from Bowman Gray, 45 minutes from Martinsville and stuff like that. And uh, so I, I knew what was going on. So Daytona has always been pretty significant because I, I could see it from, the endurance aspect and I could see it from the NASCAR aspect because that's kind of as a teenager kind of what shaped my views of racing so it was always a big deal so getting to actually work on a race car there and participate in you know one of the most well-known races in the world was pretty significant and that's kind of you know uh it's probably changed a little over time it's when I was younger Daytona like imagining being on pit road in Daytona probably at that time as a teenager would just seem like this mountain of a thing. And now I've been able to do it. And then it's like, this is cool. Like just standing there and just like looking around, like, you know, like it's, it's, it's cool, you know, just stop for a moment and appreciate all of that. Like I get to pit a car here and now we're going to go race for, you know, 23 and a half more hours. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's always a fun experience. It's definitely a different view and something, uh, something that I've looked forward to for a long time to be able to do that. And I want to do again as many times as possible. <laughs> All right. so this is a curiosity question for me. Obviously I met you at Daytona last year, but it was on pit road for the 500. I think we were like randomly standing behind Correct. like Seamus from WWE yes, yes. or something like that. You, you got that exactly I, right. I, I can't believe I remember that. Yeah. To be honest, I didn't sleep much that week. <laughs> But uh, what is that vibe like at the Rolex compared to, say, the 500? Because I've never been to the Rolex, at least not yet. I'm curious what it's like. It's, I think it's a different vibe, and each one has its own kind of specific view. Uh, the the uh, Rolex is, I would say, more like kind of like a multi-day affair because it is a multi-day race versus the Daytona 500 where there's this big buildup for the green flag and then, you know, big buildup for the finish. Um, and it all happens in this kind of compressed period of time. Well, last year it didn't because of the rain, yeah. but usually it happens in this compressed period of time. And the Daytona 500, the amount of people that are on pit road is just like inconceivable. Like, I last year you were there, you remember, but like after we after we were out where the cars were kind of gridded up, I decided to go on pit road because uh, some people from Toyota had set me up to go on one of the pit boxes. And so there was the whole presidential visit and all this other stuff that was happening on top of that. But in general, like NASCAR races, especially Daytona are incredibly popular and people are going to get hot passes for something like the Daytona 500. Um, so I went on pit road and I just stopped. Like I stopped because there was no place else to move. Like the area between <laughs> the, the pit boxes and the fence was completely full. Like, and that's just, you know, with the pandemic and everything, that's just completely ridiculous to imagine right now. <laughs> but yeah. it was just like a whole mess of people just all in one place. And like, we were moving like inches per minute. So it took, you know, I don't know, like 25 minutes to walk, maybe 15 feet, just because there were so many people. And it was just such an intense experience. And the Rolex 24, has a similar vibe but it's more like spread out there's more stuff going on so the rolex like you know 
the Rolex 24 uh, still has that same action and that same excitement for the green flag and all the ceremonies and everything that happens before. But it's just it's just a different type of vibe and a different type of kind of group of people that are there and watching. And the same deal with like the crowd, like you'll see with the Tona 500, you'll see a bunch of people in the stands versus for the Rolex, you'll see the infield completely packed out because people kind of, you know, come for the festival atmosphere where they'll, you know, set up and camp there for a week and then go watch race cars for a couple hours and go grill out and go maybe take a nap in their camp or whatever. And there's a different type of vibe, but both are like, exciting and like fun, you know, like in their own regard. Mm-hmm. I guess the last thing I'll touch on for this and then we can move on to number two for you. You've gotten to experience it in such wildly different ways. It's kind of like a media member covering it and then an actual member of a team working the race. I don't know that people fully understand just how much effort goes into it from the team side and how long you guys are up. So can you speak to how much different it was to work it compared to covering it? Yeah, it's definitely a, a different experience, you know, being coming there as a media member. I was, you know, I was there for a couple of days beforehand, but my Rolex 24 basically started that morning and walked around, you know, did some stuff. And then, you know, when I was there as a media member at like 2 a.m., I felt tired. So I took a 30 minute nap in the media center and, you know, got refreshed. And then at like 8 a.m., I took a shower and all that stuff. So, you know, I missed less than an hour racing, but as a mechanic pit crew member, you don't have those opportunities. So you have to prepare a lot of stuff ahead of time. So first with the schedule this year, we showed up, I think it was Wednesday, the 20th. So this is, you know, like three weeks ago, <laughs> we showed up Wednesday, the 20th, that Thursday we unloaded and then Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we had practices and we were basically at the track from seven or 8 AM in the morning until six or seven or 10 p.m. at night if we had night practice. And then that Sunday, we had our qualifying race, same deal, showed up early in the morning, had our qualifying race, then tech, and we got done at like 10. And then luckily, most cars came out of that race unscathed, so there wasn't a lot of work, but we've already worked for four days. Now, Monday and Tuesday, for teams that wanted to stay, which pretty much everyone wanted to stay, was basically tear the cars apart. Since we can't go back to the shop, we're going to tear them apart there at the track, take out stuff that needs to be refurbished, and spend two whole days basically refurbishing the cars after that qualifying race. So those are you know another nine or couple to nine or ten hour days, and then again Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We have practices again, plus there's night practice. So you're basically like Wednesday was an eight hour day. Thursday, because we had night practice, was a 12 hour day. Friday was like another eight or nine hour day. And then, so this is, you know, now like eight or nine days straight that you've been at the track for pretty much all day. And then you get to do the 24 hour race. So now (laughs) that next morning, I got up at like 7 a.m. We had we were prepared. So we had like a 9 a.m. wake up call, but I got up at seven just because I've been getting up at seven the whole time we were there. And my body said, it's time to get up. So we got to the track at like 9.30 and then we started prep. And then like 10 or 11, we went back through tech to make sure everything was good one more time before the race. And then we had to push the car out on the grid, prep some stuff, prep the pit box. And it was basically like from 10 or 11 until about 2 p.m. There was a lot of like stuff, just small things where move the car here, move these things here, just for the ceremonial things, for pictures or preparing equipment. Uh, and then somewhere in that time, we had lunch delivered. So we had lunch and then we went to the pit box at like 
3.15 and then lined up for the opening ceremonies and stuff. And then 3.40, the race started. And then with GTD, with the way the fuel windows are, it's like a little less than an hour for every pit stop. So like the first few hours, like chill, like, you know, you've only been up for 12 hours at this point, you know, when we get to like 6 or 7 p.m. So you haven't been up for a very long time, but you could say about once per hour, we do a pit stop. So for those first few hours, you just kind of do your pit stop. You know, you have your chair or you want to, you know, chill on the pit wall or take a walk behind the pit box, but you're in that area. You just kind of chill out. It's nice. You know, just like any other race. And then it gets to like midnight. So at this point you've been up for, you know, 14 or 15 hours and you're on, you know, I don't know, your seventh or eighth pit stop and you start to get a little tired. So then, uh, and you've had like dinner and snacks. So luckily like with the team, they'll provide all kinds of snacks and then they have like catering, deliver food on a regular basis. So every like three or four hours, there's like an actual hot meal that gets delivered. So you've had dinner and then maybe you had a snack. So, you know, you feel full, it's dark outside and, you know, you might want to, you know, take a little nap. So you take a nap for 12 or 15 minutes, but that's about all you can do because you have to be prepared for the next pit stop. And that's basically how it goes the rest of the night is uh, I kind of alternate between food, bathroom and sleep. So I'll do one stop and I know that I'll have, you know, less than an hour until the next one. And which means I'll have to be prepared in 30 or 40 minutes. So I'll either do, you know, 20 or 30 minute nap, go take a walk to the bathroom or go have a snack and a drink. And just, you just kind of have to go through that the whole night. And then you prepare kind of to be able to help yourself freshen up. So I brought like my little pit bag, you know, I had a toothbrush and toothpaste, had deodorant, you know, some, some things like that. So every few hours, kind of wash your face, brush your teeth, you know, maybe put on a little deodorant, you know, kind of, you know, just make, make yourself feel a little bit fresher. And then the tough part really comes when the sun starts to come up. So during the night, you kind of, you know, doze off a little bit here and there, but then like when the sun starts to come up, you just start to feel like all that exhaustion and then breakfast comes. <laughs> so, so, so you're exhausted and then you like fill up on like a breakfast burrito and then like you just kind of, you know, slogging along and then that lasts for like a couple of hours and then maybe have some coffee and then basically just try to push through those last few hours. And then we get to the checkered and plus everything that's been happening overnight. And at that point, uh, if you need to go to tech, you go to tech. If you don't need to go to tech, you go back to the garage and then you have to pack everything up. So then after the checkered, you still have three more hours, four more hours, depending on how much stuff you have of loading stuff into the truck <laughs> to make sure the trucks are closed up. And then finally at like seven, you know, PM, maybe the next day, which is a full 36 hours, you know, since I woke up the day before we get to go back to the hotel. And then of course, like I could have gone to bed at that point, but you know, I was like, I'm not going to bed. I'm going to go, go to the beach a little bit, just chill out. And then I'll go to bed later. And that's kind of what I did. And just, just wanted to kind of enjoy the last few hours there. Cause we had to fly the next morning at eight. So, so it's definitely a completely different experience from kind of the crew aspect. I listened to all that and I'm pretty much exhausted hearing it. I can't imagine doing it. I need another sip of coffee right now. I <laughs> <laughs> see. That's the crazy thing is I would, I would, if somebody asked me to get on a plane tomorrow to go pit, pit a car for 24 hours or prep it for a week and pit it for 24 hours, I'd start packing my bag right now. Cause even though you're exhausted, even though there's so much going on, it's such like a, such a huge thrill that like I would do it any day, any time, like, you know, no matter where. 
<laughs> us racing folks aren't wired right people that's yes, what you need to yes, take away from yes. us that's that's exactly what <laughs> what, what they need to know right there <laughs> oh man but well, that that kind of leads me into my second race which is actually not really like a famous or well-known race or anything like that but it kind of tells the story of how i got here and that's why it's significant to me so there is a, a series it's a grassroots endurance racing series called american endurance racing or aer for short and it's basically uh, a grassroots series that's like a more serious version of 24 hours of lemons or chum car where they look to have inexpensive endurance racing but they want to bring people in that are serious about what they're doing and they have a serious set of rules and all this other stuff so uh around 2016 uh some friends of mine uh jack and charlie baruth who jack is uh an editor for Haggerty. So that's how I knew him. I, he was, he was an editor in road track at the time, but they bought a car and they wanted to run in the series. And at that time I had worked on street cars and done some alignments for some race cars and things here and there, but I had never really worked on a race car, like in a hot pit lane. So we we're talking about the race car and they're like, we want to run the series. So, uh, Jack and Charlie got a bunch of other like media friends together and, me and my brother went up to help them. So like all the media friends would drive and a couple of them could wrench and me and my brother would help wrench. And there was a, it was a uh, Mazda MX-5 cup car, like the previous NC generation. So not the current ones like we saw running in Daytona last week, but the generation prior. And we went to mid Ohio. So this was October, 2016, mid Ohio, I think it's 2016. Yeah. And uh, we got up there and it was this car and I knew from working on just cars, modifying stuff, I knew basics about, you know, making certain adjustments, but I really didn't know how to like react to handling issues in a car. And they were like, basically like, well, it's just a bunch of friends together. We'll all learn together kind of deal. And, and then we also, the American endurance racing, the way they do it for most races is they'll have a double header weekend where you show up on Friday, have like a couple hours to test and a practice. Uh, and then they take the times from that practice and use that to kind of set the starting order. And then they'll have an eight hour race on Saturday and an eight hour race on Sunday. And so it's, you know, endurance, but not like all jammed together. I want like it's with little breaks. So this was my first experience of pitting a car. So like, you know, because of the grassroots aspect of American endurance racing, they have uh, minimum pit stop times, which I, I can't remember now, probably like two minutes or three minutes. So you have plenty of time to do it, but still there's a car flying to the pit box and you have to, you know, you have to service it and you have to, you know, do, do all these things and make sure it's done quickly. And so the car can get back out, do a driver change. And that race with AER mid Ohio was like, what, like just, there's like some switch that flipped inside my head. I'm like, hell yeah like i want to do this like all the time now <laughs> like this is fun <laughs> so i i you know that was kind of what pushed me from just doing like basic modifications and things on street cars to learning more and basic alignments for like track day cars to learning more about race cars and handling and all this stuff so i went like deep into that and then they kept racing and me and my brother kept kind of joining joining along to help them and then we started you know getting podiums and then we won a bunch of races and then i was like this is really cool. Like when you win a race, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And from that point on, uh, from 
doing all that stuff with them is basically how I got into the pro side of things because they ended up trading a card they had for an accord that was eligible for Pearly World Challenge. And from that point on, uh, once they got that card, they figured out it was still eligible, still homologated, just needed a few things. And they ended up like putting enough money and sponsorship together to run it for one race. I can't remember, it was a 2017 or 2018 season of Pearly World Challenge. But basically that same group of people, we ran that car for one race at Watkins Glen. And that was like the first pro race all of us did. And like we, like people were there with big haulers and, you know, all this, you know, fancy motorhomes and stuff. And we showed up literally with like a Silverado and like a U-Haul trailer with the race car <laughs> on it and like a toolbox that was, you know, like, you know, just a little, little small, like, you know, 30 inch toolbox and, you know, using the scales at tech to, you know, check the car and all this other stuff. But we showed up and uh, my friend Jack drove the car and, you know, we, we didn't have enough money for tires to run all the sessions so we only ran like one session and kind of made some adjustments around qualifying and then qualify great just because we didn't have a lot of time but he started the race i think like 23rd and ended up passing a bunch of people and finishing 14th which for us you know just showing up on a random u-haul trailer was like a huge accomplishment <laughs> but there i ended up meeting more people on the world challenge side and which is sro now and tc america and that kind of that whole basically that first race in mid-Ohio kind of led me down the path to where I am now, where I was able to get on some with some, you know, world challenge teams and then having, you know, being uh, in good situations, world challenge, being on teams that won there, I was able to meet some people that also race in IMSA and they're like, well, you're pretty good at this. You want to come with us to IMSA and then meet more IMSA people and just kind of, you know, work its way down the line. But that American endurance racing, you know, this grassroots endurance race at mid-Ohio, is pretty significant to me for that reason. So the first one that comes to mind for me is, did you have any service issues or anything getting to mid-Ohio? Because I've been there and that place is in the boondocks here. <laughs> yeah, mid-Ohio is, uh, is definitely special. Uh, the uh, the It's one of the, uh, uh, how do I put this nicely? It's one of the areas with the least amenities that I've raced, where it's just a lot of kind of bare bones, small town type of stuff. And I know I was there, I don't know which, which one I was with, but who I was with, but I was there at one point and I think we went out somewhere and like took an Uber or whatever, you know, to go to dinner. Cause you know, I have a few drinks or something. And then it was like midnight. So we're like, we need to go back to the hotel and we pulled up Uber and there were no Ubers in like a 30 mile radius. <laughs> so, so, and then we called the taxi service and the taxi service had like closed at 10 o'clock. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like, it's a very, very small town atmosphere uh, with not a whole lot of like, you know, that goes on around Mansfield, but still, still ha I still have good memories there. And, you know, joining Vassar Sullivan, which was ABS at the time, the first race I did with them was mid Ohio. And we ended up winning that race. So like mid Ohio has always been good for me because I've been, you know, with a bunch of different programs from grassroots and all the way to, you know, professional sports cars and have had good luck there. So it's, it's always, you know, been a, a cool place for me to, to visit. Yeah. And it's a cool track. Like you come out, you come out of the country and you just see the turns over the hill. Oh, like yeah. it just, it's, it's very scenic. It's just very rural. Yeah, it is mega rural. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of amenities and there's some things that could definitely be upgraded, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's something that the track is really good. If they kind of spruce things up around it a little bit, like it could be even, you know, even better and bring in even more people 
people at some point. But that's you know, I've had I've had a, a lot of interesting experiences over that way and even further, you know, into the Midwest. And like, you know, you said you're from Indy and I actually have, I would say two races that happened in the same weekend that are on this list that for me as a spectator kind of slash media member were significant, which was, so it wasn't that long ago, it was 2019. So in 2019, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, May. So I'd watched the Indy 500, I'd watched Freedom 100 and stuff on TV in the past, but I had never seen him in person. I had never been to Indianapolis Motor Speedway in person. So 2019, I decided I'm gonna get in the car and drive up there. Uh, and at the time I had known some people, uh, Black Motorsports, Louis Pericarpi, and some of these uh, guys that are working in SRO and IMSA. And I had known them because I competed against them. They were also sporting, uh, I think they were sporting the Davidson car that year because um, uh, they did some stuff with Bird and all this other stuff. So I had known them. So I had people like that I could reach out to, you know, to talk about all this stuff. So I reached out to them and they're like, yeah, you know, you can, you know, come hang out with us, check out the garage and stuff. And, but like, I hadn't really, I had some expectations, but didn't really have huge expectations. Like watching Indianapolis Motor Speedway on TV, it's, it can, you know, kind of give you that same outlook as maybe looking at Daytona or any other oval just because you can't get that sense of scale from TV. So the Freedom 100 is going to be my next race on the list. So it was okay. that Friday before the Indy 500. I had just spent however many hours driving from North Carolina to Indianapolis and I showed up like right as the Freedom 100 had started. So I went, found parking, which uh, that, that was kind of an experience in itself, finding parking there and in Speedway, even for the Freedom 100. But it was, it was an interesting experience. Yep. And I remember it distinctly because there was right there across the track, there was a new apartment complex being built. And like everything was packed all around. I was just kind of driving around trying to see if I could be sneaky, like find a spot somewhere. And I saw that the parking lot for this apartment complex, they had like a food truck in there. I guess they were trying to like bring people in. So I pulled in and I was like, can I park here? And, you know, the, the lady that was working, there's like, yeah, well, you can park here for three hours. We're kind of having like this block party type deal to introduce people to the complex. It's like, all right, like, you know, I have no plans of living in Speedway, but you know, as long as I can park, it's like, yeah, that's fine. We'll give you a pass and come hang out. You know, we got whatever the food truck was. So that was the first thing. So I parked, so I was like, I have three hours now. I'll have to come move the car later, but I set a timer on my phone and I walked <laughs> out and I remember walking out around the corner and then there's that, um, the, the circle there, the traffic circle there, right, right before, I don't know which gate that is, can't remember now, but it's like on the far corner, like the lowest strip. Uh, turn one. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a turn one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the lowest strip uh, there that goes, yes, yeah, so I guess it's called the turn one gate. I don't know if there's like numbers, I can't remember now, but yeah, it's the gate at turn one, which is works into the story here in a little bit too. But I remember walking across, and I was like, there's a whole bunch of people here. <laughs> like this is a support race. And like, I'm used to seeing crowds, you know, at Xfinity races or Michelin Pilot Challenge races for IMSA. And like there usually aren't huge, huge crowds, but like this is the Freedom 100, you know, it started 20 minutes ago or whatever. And there's still a whole bunch of people walking into the gates. I was like, this is pretty wild. So that was like my first impression. And then 
I'm walking across towards the gate and then like I turn around, there's just like Joseph Newgard just walking by, just like chatting up with fans. And like, you know, just a group of people walking with him and he's signing things, taking pictures, selfies, whatever. And let's keep going on. So I get to the gate and I go in and the gate is like any other racetrack gate. Like, you know, look, you know, going in, there's some stands and stuff. So my expectation is still that Xfinity, Michelin Pilot Challenge, kind of just support series that I'm used to is that I'll walk in and there'll be a little dots of people here and there. But I walk in there at one of the entrances near turn one. And I walk in and as I cross to be able to see the track, the first thing I see is like, the track is never ending. Like this is huge. Like there was just this like whole moment of like, wow, <laughs> just looking at it. And then I turn to my left and the stands are packed. And then right at that moment, I can't remember, unfortunately now which battle was, but there was a battle that was really good uh, in that uh, Freedom 100 race um, that was happening literally as I walked in in turn one. So I turn around to the right, I see all these people, and then I see all these people stand up and cheer. And then I look down and there's these two cars that are literally on top of each other battling, like going, you know, incredibly fast into turn one. And it's just like, it was just like this whole, just this whole sense of like, just so much stuff happening around you, like trying to take in, like if I, even if I had walked into the track completely empty, no cars, no fans, like I would have had a moment there of just like, wow, this is incredible. But like, there was just like this whole sensation of like, wow, this track is huge. There's a whole bunch of people here for the support race. And wow, look at this pass that's happening right now, right below me. <laughs> and then these people are freaking out about this pass. So like, yeah, you know, so basically I just kind of stood there for like 10 minutes, like not even taking a seat. I just kind of stood there just trying to like absorb everything that was happening. And then I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> and then basically, you know, sat down and watched the race for a bit. And I'm like, well, let me go walk over here, you know, walk under the tunnel to go inside, you know, to, to where the Pagoda is and just started exploring. And I was like, this is really exciting. And then at that point I was like, if this is what the support race is like, like what's going to happen for the actual 500. And then that mm -hmm. was kind of, Basically, what brings me to the next race is the Indy 500. Like, it's there's nothing really like as a spectator that I could compare it to because it was just such an intense experience. Like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in the stands, and then people, you know, in the infield, and people just, and then like even, you know, people just partying. <laughs> so, like, you know, there's, hundreds of thousands of race fans that are here to see the race cars. And then, you know, there's a group of people in the infield that are just there to hear some techno music and maybe see a race car pass by here and there. Like, it's just like all this stuff that's happening, but I was lucky there because I got to, you know, hang out with these lab people and uh, they were working on that bird Davidson car, Davidson car. And I got to go in there and see them warm up. It was the first time I had seen an Indy car up close. And, you know, so it was pretty cool to be able to see all that stuff and then just to watch the race and just to experience the sensation of one of those cars passing by at over 200 miles an hour. It was just like an incredible experience. And then just everything else that goes on around the race, you know, like I said, is just the racing itself was incredible. The pit stops and how quickly they come in and do all this stuff and service. I just watching all the mechanics and people that, you know, work on this stuff and, and then 
just being able to walk in through the crowd and seeing all the different groups of people from people, you know, I remember uh, sitting in the stands and I sat down and the guy that I sat down beside, he was there with his sons and he's like, well, you know, the seat you're sitting in is usually like Charlie or so I can't remember the unfortunately the guy's name, but let's say let's call him Charlie's list Charlie's, but uh his he had to do something this year. So he put his, you know, put his seats up for sale, but we've been here for 30 years and blah blah blah. And all these like cool stories of people that you know come for ages and ages. And it's such a wide range of people where I met, you know, this this gentleman that was retired, and then I can go walk to another area and there's teenagers that are there to see the race and they're excited about it. Or there's college age kids that are there maybe to see their race, but they're also there just to party because there's a cool DJ playing. <laughs> like there's so much stuff that goes on. It's just, it's just like, like, like a spectacle just to see. And like, whenever I have the opportunity to go again, I want to go again and just, just, just take it all in and enjoy it. Because I felt like even during that weekend, somebody that has worked in racing and somebody that has followed racing, written about it, like even that weekend, like I didn't know what to do with myself for a lot of the time because there was so just so much going on. And I feel like it, it, like I need to visit, like watch the race three or four times just to kind of catch up on everything that happens. Yeah, I can tell you no matter how many times you go, you never feel like you got it all. There's always so much to take in. It's it's borderline overwhelming. Just how much there is there. It is. It is. There's just so much so, so much stuff happening. It's just incredible. So, I guess I'm going to talk about all three of the ones you've mentioned now. <laughs> so you talk about how like you go to Mid Ohio and it's like this grassroots, very. I don't have to, I don't know other word other than grassroots to describe it. Amateur racing, yeah, very grassroots amateur racing. This is like the budgets are you know five thousand dollars a weekend for a team to run. You know, yeah. And then in the same list, you've got the Indianapolis five hundred, which is like just about as opposite as you can get in terms of scale and scope. Even though the two tracks aren't that far apart, sure. and obviously Mid Ohio's got some big race weekends too, but like. What is it like for you when you come from the one world like mid Ohio and things like that, when you're working up in this world on your own in this realm, and then you get to experience the the grand spectacle that's like on the opposite end of it on the other realm. What what is that like to kind of get both of those experience in the same few years? I think I think working in doing grassroots amateur type racing stuff gives me an appreciation for what goes on. And then seeing the pro stuff, especially something like the Indy five hundred, it just gives me more appreciation for all the details. And then even now working on the pro side in IMSA, like I, I see so many things that I really didn't maybe think about when I went to that Indy 500 that I would probably notice now just from simple stuff like this is what the socket set up like on the wheel gun and this is how this person sets it up and this is how that person sets it up just random little things but it's, it's definitely a, a, a different different appreciation for it as I, as I have more experiences related to racing and you know what goes on there. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to touch on from mid Ohio, what was that first, that first pit stop like for you? You mentioned how crazy the experience was to do live pit stops. It was, I mean, it was, it was a different experience. It was nerve wracking, even though like it was something fairly simple and like we weren't in a rush, you know, we had three minutes, you know, to, to, you know, fuel up the car and, you know, check a few things and, you know, swap a driver and all this other stuff. And, you know, we had like six people to do it. So it was, this is like 
a walk in the park compared to what I do now, where now if we're doing just tires, like we do that in 14 or 15 seconds. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, you know, but at the time, even that, you know, three minute, three minute pit stop was, you know, like, well, we have a car coming in, hot brakes, hot tires. And like, we have to make sure that when we're filling up with fuel, like we don't spill the fuel on the hot brakes. <laughs> like, you know, let's try not to burn the car down. Let's try not to be in the way. Let's try not to get hurt. Like all this stuff is going through your mind. And then now most of the things that were going through my mind at the time, even though now I'm doing much faster pit stops in a much like, you know, much more packed environment, they've become second nature now. So you've learned how to be safe. You learned to, you know, what to look for in your peripherals. You've learned to look for other cars, especially like here at the Rolex, you know, because Daytona set up for NASCAR pit boxes. So there are 43 pit boxes, but there were 50 cars initially entered for the Rolex 24. So they basically had to cut those down. So like one thing people may not realize about the Rolex 24 is we don't get the full NASCAR pit box. So because there are so many cars, they have to cut them up, but we basically get two thirds of a NASCAR pit box and our cars are just as long as cup cars. <laughs> so there's not a lot of space. So like if, if a car in front of you or behind you pits at the same time, like you can feel that car behind you. It's that close. <laughs> like You're going to, you know, you have to like, you know, balance like who you're running out with and what you're doing, but stuff like that, that like, things that I was worrying about in that first kind of grassroots racing pit stop are just not even on my radar now because they're second nature is kind of what I experienced there. And now it's just like, now it's focusing on small details and small fractions of second where you can improve. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask one more question about any, then we can move on, but I want to add one side note. And that's that next time you're up here for, I need to drag you up north a little bit to Anderson Speedway so you can see the little 500 because that's a whole different spectacle, but I think you'll enjoy it. That 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 is definitely a goal of mine, and I will definitely take you up on that as soon as we're able to do that again. I want to see, I want to see the, the little 500, and I want to see a bunch more kind of ladder type stuff you could say towards open wheel cars i want to learn more about dirt and all this other stuff so any stuff like that when we can go i'm fully down (laughs) i I know a guy that watches it all so if you ever have any questions hit me up oh yeah so the thing i wanted to ask about indy and this is always hard for me because i'm from indy yeah and so it's hard for me to describe indy without being biased sounding or just coming off as a hoosier showboating it so You've been to the 500, you've been to the Rolex, you've worked the Rolex, you've been to Indy. I try not to make the argument that one's better than the other, although my bias would tell you I probably have a pick. But <laughs> I try not to, I try to argue that they're all special in their own ways. Sure. So, so for you having attended the Freedom and having attended Indy, obviously it made enough of an impact on you to make this list. What about Indy in particular was so special to make those races stand out? It's, I don't know that, that I can say like a specific objective thing. It's just like the whole aura of the race. Like right now at this moment, I can walk through that moment where I walked through that gate at turn one and walked out. And like, I can hear those fans. I can hear those cars battling. Like, it's just the whole experience. Like just, it's just like a, like a, I don't know, like an attack on the senses of everything that was happening of just seeing the scale of the track, how big it is, and then all this other stuff happening around it. Like, you know, it's, it's just like incredible. Like I can, I can think about it, hear all those noises 
I can smell like pork chop sandwiches and like all this other stuff. Like <laughs> there's so many little things like it had that, you know, significant of an impact. That's just, it's something that if somebody were to ask me, like, you just have to go and experience it once. Like just, you just have to like walk into Indy and just see what it's like. Mm-hmm. I try to sell all my NASCAR friends on that. Some don't take the bait, but they'll it's, keep the fight up. <laughs> no, it's 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 definitely something I will fully support you on. Something that I, I wouldn't have known unless I had seen it myself in person and just, you know, gone through that whole process. I hear that. Well, I think if I am counting correctly, and mind you, math is not my strong suit, I think we have been through four of your five. Yeah. So, so I think we're ready for the fifth. All right. The fifth one, we'll kind of circle back to NASCAR. So <laughs> I figured I would kind of bounce around in just a bunch of different different races and just kind of to show what's had an impact. And uh, the fifth one, I, I wouldn't say that's any specific race, but it's just races at Martinsville. So where I grew up in North Carolina, that was kind of my first exposure uh, and most frequent exposure to NASCAR. So I'm, you know, 45 minutes south of Martinsville. So that was something like a convenient place for me to go. And, you know, when I got tickets back, whoever knows how long ago to go see, but that was, if I remember correctly, that was the first NASCAR race I saw in person. And I'm not great with stuff, my memory long ago, but it's been years. And I know that it was the first time that I seen stock cars up close and kind of like that in the experience, the experience of walking down by the fence, which they'll probably yell at you for walking down by the fence, <laughs> but yeah. walking down by the fence and seeing 35, 40 hearing, feeling, seeing 35 or 40 stock cars fly by you know, coming out of turn four there, going by the start finish and just feeling, feeling just, you know, the energy of those cars and all that air they're putting off, you know, smelling the exhaust and hearing it. That was like, like the same kind of deal. It's like stock cars are kind of cool and they sound badass. Like I want to know more about this. And then just seeing, you know, <coughs> seeing all that action up close and, you know, just seeing all the little, little kind of small things that go into it where, you know, if you're watching there, especially like turn one, seeing them go into turn one and seeing people take different lines, seeing how different cars are set up, seeing how different people react and stuff like that. And then just kind of the whole experience, which like Martinsville is kind of, you know, kind of has a little bit of that mid Ohio vibe because it's kind of rural-ish, but not really rural because it's close to, you know, some, some like, which Martinsville is actually in Ridgeway and Martinsville, the town is kind of down the road, but it's kind of, you know, there's a few little towns and cities there and there's, it's rural enough that they're like houses, basically they're almost inside the track. <laughs> like it's kind of just kind of carved out of a neighborhood there basically. But seeing seeing all that stuff in such a small space and all these drivers competing, you know, for very, very small increments in these turns to try to, you know, pass each other is a pretty incredible experience. And then just seeing the fan reactions one prior before the pandemic, you know, when there were fans and it was packed out is, you know, just an incredible experience and, you know, just, just seeing, seeing what the cars can do and how they can do it. And then, you know, just enjoying and being able to take that in. And I mean, for me, it was just mostly an experience of 
experiencing stock cars in person for the first time and then growing from that and seeing stock cars at other tracks whether they're you know some some place big like daytona or seeing them in charlotte on the roval or other road courses and stuff it just kind of gives you a different view but it's that also that kind of transitional point where local racing and you know big time cup racing kind of meet because Martins will also host, you know, super late mile races and stuff like that. And then that's really what got me into looking at local, local, you know, short tracks. So like Blooming Grape, I'm 10, 15 minutes away from my house here. And I hadn't really paid that much attention to it as a kid, even though it was close. But then after kind of getting into racing, you know, as a young adult, I was like, well, let me go check out Bowman Gray. You know, this sounds interesting. So I'd go to Bowman Gray once. I was like, all right, I'm coming back here every Saturday. Like, you know, it's it's that good. Like it was that, you know, that much of a fun time. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, you know, they haven't raced in a year, but it kind of brought me to check out some, you know, some other kind of lower level or different category type of oval racing that I may not have been ex- exposed to because it wasn't on TV. So it's, you know, it's definitely a, Martinsville is definitely a cool place. There's lots of action and then it kind of connects a bunch of other stuff together. I am required by law upon hearing Martinsville to ask if you've had a Martinsville hot dog. So I have, I have a controversial opinion on the Martinsville hot, hot dog. Okay, so let's hear it. I've had a bunch of them. I'll probably have more, but I'm not really a, a huge fan of the Martinsville hot dog like that. Like I'll have now, I'll have one, maybe two when I go, but that type of hot dog, like the pink dogs are pretty common in this area. And there are a bunch of restaurants near me and there's one actually near Bowman Gray that makes really, really good versions of it. And the ones at Martinsville are decent, but you can kind of tell how they're made that they're made to be cranked out because they sell so many. So the buns are a little bit steamed, all this stuff. But like, I've had really good versions of that hot dog, so I can't get excited over it. And that's the thing is like, the best version of the Martinsville hot dog is actually at Kermit's in Winston-Salem <laughs> because they have <laughs> kind of that same hot dog, but a foot long version on a toasted bun. And they have really good slaw and all this other stuff. So like, it tastes delicious. And Kermit's itself has a racing connection because it's, like two minutes down the road from Bowman Gray. And that was this spot for like a lot of racers back even now, but back like the sixties and seventies to stop and have a snack after their night. So like, like people like Richard Childress would race at Bowman Gray and then stop at Kermit's to get a hot dog. So it's like, even that place has a connection, but that's like one of the best places. So people get mad when I put the Martinsville hot dog down and like, I understand the experience and I'll still occasionally get one just for kind of just to see if anything's changed, just kind of for the experience. But there are so many other places here where you can go and get like a really, really good version of it that I just can't appreciate it like some people do. Hey, don't feel bad, man. I'll tell you, Daytona, I want to say it's Xfinity Series race day in a non-COVID year. Okay. They usually give us Martinsville hot dogs as like our catered meal. Interesting. And I usually half starve because I forget to eat because I'm working on stuff will wolf down like six of them oh, wow. in, and then I won't eat another one for the rest of the year. <laughs> so, uh, when I go to Martinsville, I don't usually get one, but I do normally eat Martinsville hot dogs at Daytona. That's interesting. Oh, that's a different way to approach it. And you never know. I mean, it, it could be a whole different taste at Daytona depending on how they prepare them. 
Well, if you want, if you want a hot take related to the NASCAR Cup schedule, now I'll throw one right back for you. NASCAR Cup Series fans and industry, if they don't already know, are going to learn this year that the Road America Bratwurst oh. is better than the Martinsville Hot Dog by a country mile. Yes, I didn't even think about that. That's that's a very very good point. There's so much good food at Road America and beer too, and cheese yeah. and all this other stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah, the Bratwurst at the track is incredible. They have. I can't wait to see how Cup fans react to Seepkins and everything. Oh, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. Seepkins is cool and all the other places. It'll be nice, yeah. Hopefully, once the pandemic has passed us and people can get together just to see and enjoy all of that. I hear. So, you chose well, I think, in going to Martinsville for your first stock car experience. Is it is the short track racing? I feel like you probably see it as much as we do on the media side. A lot of fans clamor for it. They all love it, and they wish we had more of it on the schedule. Is that something, having been there and having it on this list, do you feel like short track racing is kind of one of your favorite aspects of NASCAR oh, yeah. as well? Definitely. Yeah, I love short track racing. I mean, it's it's just, just so much excitement. There's so much going on and so many different approaches and so many different opportunities. So, I mean, it's like short track racing and road courses is like, you know, would be like – my perfect mix of stuff. Like I know the intermediate tracks have taken up a big chunk of the schedule, but unfortunately with the way things go, they can be a bit of a snooze with short tracks. There's always something going on because there's space. There's no space for anybody to be slacking or doing anything like with, you know, a mile and a half track, you might have the leader out front and then a little train of cars, you know, behind the leader. And then maybe another little train of cars for, you know, 10th through 25th. Well, at the, sh at the short track, it's, you have the leader and then second, third and fourth place are like sitting in inside like his trunk, basically. And then they're coming up on 20th place because they're about to lap him again. So like there's no place on the track for you to just kind of chill out and like, you know, let, let people be like there's something happening all the time, whether it's that first through fifth battle or these people over here in sixth through eighth that are battling themselves and try not to go too slow so they don't get caught and put a lap down, you know, by the guys that are, you know, battling in the lead. So there's like always some sort of action happening. <laughs> Is it weird when you're used to sports car racing and maybe a little bit of open wheel to come to a track like that and see a race where like contact isn't just common it's like borderline encouraged short track it's, racing I mean, it's, it's a different experience but that's the thing is i've taken from all of these different types of racing from seeing you know grassroots sports car racing to some open wheel some dirt racing kind of open wheel dirt spring cars and stuff and then to local over racing all the way to you know nascar cup series is that there's a lot of different things that happen but when you get down to the end of the day it's all the same type of people and that's kind of cool like i can mm -hmm. i can find a version of me at a nascar race i can find a version of me at an open wheel race whether it's you know indy car or somebody that's just like me at just a local dirt race, you know, running a sprint car out of the back of their truck or whatever, you know, mini sprint or whatever. Like there's, it's, 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 it's really cool. Like that there, all these different types of uh, series are so wildly different in some regards, but they're also, they're also like very similar is that everybody has the same goal. Everybody wants to compete. And even if you get down to the science of it, you know, as one of, one of my friends, uh, Trent says is, it's four tires in physics. So, you know, if we're racing, it's four tires in physics. You just got to figure out what kind of surface you're looking at and, you know, what's happening. 
So it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a lot of differences, but also a lot of things that are kind of the same. I hear that. I appreciate somebody that can throw together a top five that includes races at mid Ohio, Martinsville and Daytona. It doesn't get much more varied than that. I appreciate that. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed my list. I thought about it for a few days and a few weeks, actually. I was like, well, this race here was cool. This race here was cool. And then I just kind of started to get down to it. And uh, then I was like, well, let me think about the races that like, if somebody asked me my racing history, like, what are the ones that go through my head? And those are kind of the ones that popped up. So I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoy that. I really did. Well, we are almost done with your podcast, Bozy. but before we can wrap up this top five podcast, we need to go through your top 10. Okay. This is a quick hit section. It covers 10 basics and ends with a chance to engage. So I think you'll like it. So All right. if you don't mind, we can just roll right on through it. Okay. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right, first up, two-part question. It is your first race, first one you watched, and first one you remember participating in. For you, it could be media or, I guess, wrenching. Uh, that's probably going to be a tough one. The first one I watched, I, can, I honestly can't tell you. I'm bad like with remembering some of this stuff, but it's probably going to be like a Formula One race in the 90s. And I couldn't really tell you which one it is, but <laughs> it'll, it'll, be, it'll be one of those. And the first race I attended, yeah, see, I'm really bad at this. I can't. I could really couldn't tell you. The first race I attended was probably be something at VIR, I would think. Uh, it would Ooh. be because VIR is pretty close to me, and it would probably be like a, a Pirelli World Challenge race there or something something similar to that, you know, maybe 15 years ago or whatever. So uh, I probably should think about that some more, but I can't recall the exact races. Honestly, cannot right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Number two, and this is open to however you wish to interpret it, worst race. Worst race. Uh, that's tough to say. Uh, I would say that pretty much any race that I get to go to, especially nowadays, I find to be a good race just because I get to be there. But a worst race, I would say it's probably one where I was working on a car and we had to retire it. So there's been a few of those. I mean, that's just racing, but I don't think there's a specific one, but that's kind of usually the, the worst, worst types of races is, you know, something broke. So uh, I'm not going to call that specific race or a specific car, but yeah, things break. Then yeah, not a huge fan. <laughs> You're here. Number three, we'll flip it on its head. Best race. Best race. For me, it would probably be mid Ohio last year, the IMSA race. So it was, was an interesting turn of events because I was working on a TCR team. The TCR team shut down uh, like two weeks before mid Ohio and Master Sullivan, who was in Master Sullivan at the time, I heard that they were having some trouble with getting crew guys across because most of a lot of their crew guys were Canadian. So I was like, and I knew that they were going to race at Charlotte Roval. So I was like, let me email their people and see, tell them I'm near Charlotte. They want to give me a tryout at Charlotte. You know, I'll see what happens. But like, I figured like pandemic, like I was like, I'm pretty much done for the year. So this was like four days before the mid Ohio race. So I emailed them and they called me back, like give me a phone interview. And they're like, well, we'll let you know. The next morning they call back and they're like, can you fly to Ohio tomorrow? And I'm like, (laughs) okay. So, so I fly out to Ohio, meet all these guys, and they're like, you're going to be working on this car. You're going to pitting this car. They're like, you know, let's get some practice. We did a whole bunch of pit practice. I could learn the car, figure out how everything works. And so we go out and qualify. We qualify on the pole. 
So we're like this, I'm like, this is awesome. Like, you know, three days ago, I thought I was done, you know, working on race cars for the season and all this stuff. Now I'm racing in the top class of sports car racing, you know, uh, in the top, top series of sports car racing, uh, in the U S in the weather tech series on one of the best cars. And like, we just put the, you know, we just put the car on the pole. So we go out, we run the race and we win the race. <laughs> then I'm just kind of, uh, just kind of sitting there, uh, uh, and after the race, just kind of absorbing all of this, that like I was without a job in the paddock five days ago. And now we're sitting here, like, you know, jumping off the podium because we just won this race. So that was, I think that's like best race. Definitely. Yeah. Also an award for quickest glow up. I think that's impressive. Yeah, it's a big, big turnaround. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, it was a, definitely an interesting experience. Number four, I think you might already have foreshadowed the answer, but favorite series. I mean, the kind of easy answer is probably IMSA because I race it. <laughs> but right. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's I would say uh, yeah, I would say IMSA right now just because I'm so involved in it. But you know, NASCAR, Formula One, you know, that's all up there. And now this year, I'm trying to get more into dirt. So and some of this other stuff and more more open wheel stuff. So like you know, World of Outlaws and you know, uh, and even some of this like ladder stuff in IndyCar with Indy Lights and F2000. Like I'm trying to get more into that this year. So I think like I'm really liking what I'm seeing there and working for Vassar Sullivan. There's a lot of in the car ladder people involved. So I'm getting to learn a lot of stuff from the inside before I even get to see any of these races. So it's like really piqued my interest. So it's kind of cool. Very cool. Number five, if you had one, a favorite driver growing up. Uh, probably Tommy Mackinnon. So that was, really? yeah. So that was like, as a teenager, I said, you know, I kind of liked rally cars and that's kind of, I worked on like Mitsubishi's and Subarus and I still have Subarus, but like, those were like so cool to me and just seeing them, you know, do what they do. So like, yeah, like that was like Tommy Mackinnon was like, like, you know, driving hero back then. Mm-hmm. Number six, flip that one on its head. If you had one, a least favorite driver growing up. I really, I don't think I really had one. Like there wasn't really like a, a villain type driver that I had as growing up. And even like, you know, as a young adult or an adult, like it wasn't, uh, there wasn't anybody there. I do like to have villains now kind of as an observer of racing. I think that skilled drivers that can kind of rouse things up are good for the sport and for most series in general, which is like why, you know, I like, the Kyle Busch approach because, you know, he, uh, he says certain things, but he can drive and Mm -hmm. he, he also creates drama. And that's like, you know, the, the something that we're missing now that I think if Kyle Busch didn't end up being as nice to like chase Elliott last year as he did, like there could have been more drama and more excitement where we could, start to go to something towards like a Earnhardt Gordon type rivalry, but like Kyle Busch is does kind of hit those points sometimes, but then like him and Chase made friends, at, you know, towards the end of the season. So we didn't get that, but I think like villains are definitely necessary in racing. You're hearing where you touched on mine. I was a childhood Dale senior fan. So oh, I'm bringing so any rainbow stuff around. Uh, childhood. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I see. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's, so you know exactly what I'm thinking of and why that's yeah. important. Oh yeah. Number seven, and you already kind of touched on this, but what all racing tours do you actively watch today? 
I mean, it's kind of cliche, but I try to watch everything. So like right before we came on right now, I was watching uh, the Arca East race at New Smyrna on track pass. And like, I'll watch basically if I have the time or even if I don't have the time, if there's racing going on, I'll just put it on the TV and just kind of, you know, see what's going on. And then sometimes I'll discover something that I hadn't really ever thought about, or sometimes I'll just watch because I'm familiar with somebody that's driving a car or working on a car or, or, you know, just trying to kind of get a, get a sense of what goes on in different types of series, because even though there are so many different types of racing, they always somehow intersect. Mm -hmm. So it's number eight. Oh, what is your dream job or moment? Dream job or moment. That's a good question. I, I, I don't know that I set like huge goals for that. Like I have small goals. So like, one of my goals is like, I want to pit a race car in a pro series. And I've done that. And then, you know, another goal was I want to pit a car in the Rolex 24 and I've gotten to do that. And now like, I just try to think of things that would be fun and like something else that would be fun would be like to pit a car in the Indy 500. Like I've had that experience as a spectator media person, mm -hmm. but like being on pit road, all those cars flying by, you know, all this stuff happening, like, that's something that I think I would enjoy like doing. So that's like, I just kind of put small long-term goals in my head and then just trying to kind of find paths to get there. And then if it happens, if it happens, if not, then I might find something else cool that happens along the way. So like I just, you know, they're not really small dreams, but just kind of small goals here and there for big dreams that, you know, things that might happen. Mm -hmm. Number nine, one person or group you would recommend to follow or watch in the industry, and it cannot be me. <laughs> uh, uh, that's a good question. Uh, hmm. I would say, I don't know that there's a name for them, but there's a group of younger kids that I think are like kind of in different, uh, different aspects of racing uh, that that are gonna be the next generation of what we see in NASCAR, maybe even in road racing. Uh, so that's like the group that they live near near me here. And I've, I've known some of them and, you know, spent time with some of them, but people like Maya Snyder and Brad Perez and, you know, Preston Pardis and some of these other, you know, younger kids is they're very involved online and they jump into a bunch of different stuff from, you know, racing, you know, Brian Vargas and some of these other kids like racing, uh, you know, in NASCAR, but also racing in sports series or racing another, you know, unrelated series like Spec Miata and stuff like that, which like Spec Miata, people that have success in that I have a lot of respect for, but they're very involved online. They've involved in new media and most of them, you know, are driving or working on cars in these various series and just kind of trying to work their way up. So I think that group is a group that, you know, I don't follow a whole lot of people, but I follow that group because I respect what they're doing and how they're bringing new people to their, to the sport and how they're hustling to get to, you know, where they want to be. Right. And lastly, number 10, one opportunity to engage. Where can people find you, Bozen? Oh, people can find me everywhere. I love talking. So they can find me on Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> TikTok. Now I just started a TikTok like three weeks ago. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, basically if, if a social media thing exists and you start typing in Bozy, I'll probably pop up. But you know, like my username on most of these 
things is my full name, so Bozi Tatarovic. But if you just start typing Bozi T, I'll usually be the first one that pops up because there's not a whole lot of Bozis. But yeah, Twitter is like my favorite thing. I'm on there all the time, no matter what I'm doing. So I'll, I'll definitely engage on there. Instagram's kind of, you know, for pictures. And then I'm just kind of trying to post fun skit type things on TikTok now. But yeah, I'm all over the place. And then if you go to my Twitter, that'll link you to my portfolio of written work. So I write for Roden Track, Haggerty, Jalopnik, and a few other outlets where you can find links from my Twitter to all of that and a whole bunch of other stuff. Will we be seeing you doing TikTok dances in paddocks near us? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I've done, <laughs> I've done, uh, I actually did one at Daytona putting on my fire yes. suit. It wasn't a very strong dance, but it was just kind of a little flip thing, but I'm still trying to learn. So uh, my first few videos on TikTok were kind of recycled. They were just basically pit stop videos from the you know camera on my helmet, but I've done a few native like TikTok dancey type videos. So I'm still trying to learn, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. If you see me dancing around holding a phone, it's nothing weird. I'm just making content. <laughs> As a subpar but enthusiastic dancer, I respect the hustle. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, Bozy, that does it for us. Thank you so much for coming by and sharing your top five today. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. Mosey's top five. <laughs> I quite enjoyed that one, right? You got Mid-Ohio, you got Daytona, but for the Rolex, and you got the Indy 500 all on the same list. That is unique. Thanks, of course, to Bozy for taking the time to come and chat with me about his top five. Thanks to Brad Perez for the sweet beats I used on the intro and outro. As always, lovely music bed. Thanks to our lovely friends at Patreon. As usual, I'd like to thank a couple supporters in particular. This week, I'm going to go with... Hmm, let's do Spencer Pullins and Neil K. McMillan. They're two people that have been with me since around the start of the 2019 Cup season, and I just hope they both know I appreciate it. And of course, I want to thank all of you for listening and allowing Bozy to talk about a few of the races that have meant the most to his career. Now, I have a few different options for the next episode of this pod, and I'm not sure which I'm going to go with yet, so I'm going to leave that a surprise. I actually think I'm going to stop mentioning who's next until I can start teasing them a couple days before, just because I think it's kind of fun to leave it a surprise till the end so it catches people off guard. So keep an eye out for that. We'll catch you next Wednesday on that. But until then, this has been the Motorsports Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Beard 93 and I'll catch you guys again when we get back on the beat. See ya.